If you've got a Bible with you, Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 8. We're, we're a second week in a series entitled Clearly. And, uh, you know, 2020, this is the, the year of vision, you know, for every, every preacher that's preaching on vision. They always preach in January, and especially with 2020, it's kind of a given that you're going you're to preach on clarity or vision or purpose. Uh, we had already had that scheduled before 2020 got here, but that's okay. Uh, Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be. This, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a second passage of Scripture. Last week, we were in Luke 17, and we looked at the story of Jesus Christ healing 10 lepers. And uh, of all 10 of those lepers that were healed, only one came back and gave God glory with his life. Only one came back to Christ and gave thanks. Only one worshiped God. Only one offered praise to God. And, and we said, you know what? God, God probably sees the same thing in our culture of Christianity. The Lord's willing to heal and save anyone that would, that would come to him and ask. His mercy is such that all you have to do is ask for his forgiveness and his mercy He's willing to save us from our sin if, if we would just ask and cry out for mercy. And I think many of us have done that in the, in the room this morning. But listen, there is something to be learned that once we do that, our life is to be given back to Christ as an offering. And we saw that last week. Out of all 10 that were healed and cleansed, only one came back to Christ and really humbled himself at the feet of Jesus. And his motivation for doing that was that he saw himself clearly. He saw what Christ had clearly done to him. He was a leper. He was, he was diseased. He was an outcast. He was separated from the congregation, so to speak. He had to profess with his mouth, unclean, unclean, so that other people wouldn't contact him. But listen, when the Lord healed him, the Lord healed him completely. And, and that story taught us, taught us last week that we have to see Christ's redemption clearly. And the way that we do that is, is we really look at what he's done for us. And when you see what he's done for you, and I see what he's done for me, well, that drives us back to the feet of Jesus Christ. It doesn't drive us further away into our sin, or it doesn't drive us to live our own life, but it actually drives us back into submission and obedience and worship of the one who healed us. And so if you missed last week's message, get on the website, check it out. I think it'll be a blessing to you. This morning, we're going to look at another story, Mark chapter 8. We're going to read verses 22 down to uh, 25, 26 here. And uh, this morning, the message is entitled, Seeing All Men Clearly. Last week, we saw Christ's redemption clearly. This week, we want to be challenged to see all men clearly. And, and the, the verse says in, in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, the Bible says, And he, Jesus Christ, cometh to Bethsaida. And they bring a man unto him and besought him to touch him. And, and the they that brought this, this blind man to Jesus was the disciples. So they bring this blind man to Christ and they're asking him, they're asking the Lord Jesus Christ to touch him. And when he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hand upon his eyes again, and he made him look up, and he was restored, and he saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Very interesting story. Uh, I think God wants us to learn this morning that we, like this blind man, need to see all men clearly. God's called us to a ministry that involves reaching men and women. 
We need to see men clearly. So let's pray and ask God to, to teach us. Again, Lord, we thank you for the time. Lord, as we humbly come to your book, uh, Lord, I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit of God is the teacher. And Lord, we thank you that we can have your word in our language so that we can read and study and know you. And Father, we give you the time and help us to, to, to humbly in our mind right now, whatever you would have for us to, to hear, God, position our heart to already say yes, Lord, to whatever it is that you reveal to us today. Father, we want to we be a part of your mission. We want to see men clearly because we want to see them as, as needing the gospel of Jesus Christ and to become disciples of you. And so, Lord, give us that understanding today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this morning in your notes, if you've got a set of notes, you can pull that out. We're going to give you a few things to kind of take notes with and just uh, maybe it'll, it'll be a reminder later uh, as you meditate on what you learned today. Number one, we're going to see this passage open and we're going to see a burden for the blind. And what we see in this story is that the disciples of Jesus Christ are in a city or a town named Bethsaida. And this is actually a pretty popular city in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. The name literally means, many of you know, like you've heard of the, the city Bethel or the town Bethel, house of bread. Uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is literally the interpretation of Bethsaida. It is the house of fish. Think Captain D's. Okay, no, not that. But it, but, but it was a fishing city. It was a you know a port city. It had it had uh, actually uh, it, it actually was a city that Jesus had done many of his mighty works in. And in Matthew chapter eleven, uh, we we find that actually Jesus kind of speaks against Bethsaida because he says many mighty works were done in you, and it didn't it didn't cause you to repent. And, and, and the Lord actually criticized that city because they had seen multiple miracles of Jesus Christ done over and over. Bethsaida was also home of three of the disciples of Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 44, the Bible says Philip was of Bethsaida, and that was also the city of Andrew and Peter. And so three of the, the 12 disciples was, were from Bethsaida. Uh, it was also the city in which the feeding of the 5,000 was performed. Many of you know that story. And so this is this is no small uh, city as it relates to Christ's ministry. As a matter of fact, it had much exposure to Christ's ministry. So these disciples are in Bethsaida. Christ is there, and they find this blind man. And they bring this blind man to Christ in hopes that he would heal them. Excuse me, that he would heal him. So, so in your notes, look, many times in the Bible, physical blindness is a picture or it's a type Certainly, this man was physically blind, but it is a type or a picture of spiritual blindness, and specifically those that are lost. In other words, those that have not yet received the gospel of Jesus Christ, those that are lost in their sin. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this Corinthian epistle and he says this In whom the God of this world, now who is the God of this world? The devil, Satan. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them. Listen which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There is an, an adversary at work, the devil, and, he, and his job is to blind lost men so much so that they don't see their need for Christ. And, and, and so when, when these disciples are bringing this man to Christ, it is, an, it is a type or a picture of our job to go reach the lost and to bring them into a realization of who Christ is. This man was blind. He couldn't do it on his own. He had no bearing. He had to be willing to follow them. And once he did, they brought him to the one that could heal his blindness. 
But I also want you to understand the Bible doesn't just picture blindness as a type of a lost man or a sin. Physical blindness in the Bible is also a, a type or a picture of spiritual blindness of saved people, of Christians. As a matter of fact, you can be saved from your sin and still be blind. You say, Jay, are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm pretty sure because the Bible says so. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 3, when Jesus is speaking to seven different churches and he kind of has an admonition and a, and a correction for each of those churches, the church of Laodicea, the very last church mentioned in Revelation 3, he's speaking to a church to save people. And he says, because in verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here's a church that said of themselves, we have everything we need and we don't need anything else. And the Lord said, your perspective is so wrong, you actually don't see yourself the way you really are. You think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you're all these bad things, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. It is possible to be saved and still be blind. Second Peter chapter 1, when we, we've studied this in the past, God gives us kind of a divine process of spiritual growth in Second Peter chapter 1, and, and he says that we're to add seven things to our faith so that we can grow spiritually in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, it says this, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and listen, to brotherly kindness, charity. Okay, so there's seven things that, that are to be added to our faith sequentially divinely and sequentially. And, and verse 8 carries with it a tremendous promise. If these things be in you, in other words, once you accepted Christ and you ex exercised faith in the gospel and you've added these things unto yourself, well, if these things are in you and abound, they make that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God says, God gives you a tremendous promise. If you'll commit to grow spiritually, you'll never be unfruitful. And you'll always abound in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a tremendous promise. All you have to do is be willing to grow. Then verse 9, but. Ugh. You know, if it would just stop there at verse 8, it would have been fine. Verse 9 says, but he that lacketh these things, and that these things are the seven things that he just mentioned. If you lack these things, he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Church, listen to me. It is possible to be saved and spiritually blind. It's possible. And, and, and may I go back to the story. Listen, the disciples of Jesus Christ had such a burden for this blind man that they brought him to Jesus. That is a picture of evangelism, no doubt, because we're called to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to bring them to Christ so that Christ can help them see spiritually and forgive them of their sin. But I also want you to understand that our churches are, churches, plural, are full of people that are saved, but they don't have a clear vision of what God intends for their life. They cannot see spiritual things clearly. And we as disciples of Christ, listen, we have to have a burden to bring people that are saved but blind to Christ. We, we have to have that burden.
We have to have that burden. And, and, and so the disciples had that burden to see the blind man healed. They, they, they brought him to Christ. And so here's the key principle as it relates to ministry that we all need to learn. Here's the key principle or key truth. Look, true disciples of Christ don't see people as problems. Their desire is to bring them to Jesus. People are not problems. Oh, the church would be great if it just, if it just wasn't for the people. <laughs> you just said out loud, you're not a true disciple of Christ. People aren't problems. People need to see Christ. People need to be brought to Christ so they can see clearly. This man couldn't help himself. Those disciples didn't discriminate against him and say, you know what, we can see, you can't see, uh, I guess we can't be friends. No, they had a burden. The people that can see clearly should have a burden for the people who can't see clearly and spiritually. And they, they should be so burdened that their, their point and intention is to bring people to Christ. Number two, true disciples of Christ don't see people as personal projects. Their desire is to bring them to Jesus. And we talk a lot about discipleship at our church, and, and we're going to keep talking about it because, because it's a biblical mandate. We're to make disciples of all nations. Listen, we are called to make disciples of Christ, not disciples of Jay, not disciples of Cody, not disciples of Colin. We're called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. People are not our personal projects. Listen, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was admonishing the, the, the pastors at Ephesus, the elders at Ephesus, he kind of warned them and he said, you know what, look, man, you need to be prayerfully watchful because there's going to be from outside grievous wolves, false teachers that are going to come in and try to destroy your church. But then he also said in verse 30, you know what, of your own selves, and he's talking to pastors, he's talking to spiritual leaders. He says, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. In other words, people that, that, that are interested in manipulating and falsely deceiving people and drawing people away from Christ instead of bringing them unto Christ. Guys, listen, we, we want to do ministry where we always ultimately bring people to Christ. And I'm going to say some things. Listen, some of you are newer here this morning, so, so you know, let this fly over your, your head. But, but we talk a lot about discipleship at our church. If you're being discipled and your discipler is not bringing you into a closer relationship with Christ and not bringing you into a closer relationship with the Word of God and bringing you to Christ in, in prayer, you need to communicate that up the chain because we may have a problem on our hands. We're not interested in making disciples of other people. We're interested in, in main, making disciples of Christ. People are not projects. You're not someone else's pet project or, or someone that can, can draw you away from a real relationship in Christ. And so you need to be mindful of that. And the door is always open to communicate that up. And it's needful. It's needful. True disciples have a burden to see the blind healed. The second thing is true disciples besought these, these true disciples, they beseech or they besought Jesus Christ to heal this man. In other words, when they brought, the, they brought this man to Christ, the Bible says that they besought him to touch him. They begged him. They, they, they called unto him. They, they summoned Christ. You could say that they prayed unto Christ so that, that he would touch this man. And, and, and having a burden is good, but you've got you to pair your burden 
with some beseeching. In other words, you've got to pray, pair, pair your burden with prayer to see God move in other people's lives. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus Christ looked over the multitudes, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion on the multitudes because they were as sheep with no shepherd. And that broke his heart. They were fainted. They were scattered. They had no shepherd. He said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. The Lord had a burden. And then he told those disciples, you need to be burdened about this. But the burden had to be paired with prayer. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Listen, I, I think all of us probably could look at our circle of influence, our life, and, and, and listen, if we're not the blind man, maybe we are the blind man, and today God's brought us here so we can begin to see clearly. But all of us, if, if we can see clearly, there ought to be people that we are burdened for that we're willing to bring to Christ. People that are lost in their sin that need to hear the gospel. Or saved people that just can't get it yet. They don't see it yet. They don't see clearly yet. They're not a problem. They're actually the point. They're the point of ministry. And, and we need to bring them into a real relationship with Christ. So, so this thing begins with a burden for the blind. These disciples are great examples of good ministers. Number two, we see a, a bizarre method of healing. Today's point's brought to you by the letter B. That's just how it shook out. I had to work the thesaurus pretty hard, okay, on this. I'll just be honest. <laughs> a bizarre method of healing. I'm just being honest, right? Look, let's just be honest, right? Verse 23. Okay, this is where it gets wacky, man. He took the blind man by the hand. This is Christ. He, he led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught, and he looked up and said, uh, I see men as trees walking. Well, that's gross, right? Come get your healing. <coughs> okay. How'd that sound in the microphone, by the way? Was it? Yeah. You got you to gotta be honest. That's a little bizarre, right? I mean, they, the disciples just asked the Lord to touch him, and then he's like spitting on him, and, you know, Lord, we didn't really ask for that. <laughs> what do you do with that? And, and there's no shortage of opinion, really, on what that means biblically. Uh, I think the Bible can define itself. You know, in Leviticus 18, it is interesting. In Leviticus 18, one of those books that we rarely go to, um, it, it talks about a, an unclean man in Leviticus 15:8. And, and the Bible says that if a man is unclean, like in other words, if he has disease or he has a cold or he has a, you know, a, an ailment, if he spits on another man that is clean then that man that he spits on becomes unclean. And so in other words, you could, you could literally say that, that that spitting, at least as, as it relates to Leviticus, is a transfer of uncleanness to one that's clean. Well, that's interesting. Now, the one that's spitting in Mark chapter 8 is not unclean. His, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has no sin, and he's clean, and he's perfect, and he's holy. And yet, he is spitting on an unclean man. And maybe, in, an, in a sense or an essence, transferring cleanness to that man. The other thing that when you study spitting in the Bible, you, you end up in like Numbers chapter 12 and uh, this little story about Miriam when she got leprosy. And, and the Lord and Moses are talking about this situation. And the Lord said to Moses, if her father, Miriam's father, had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? And listen, culturally speaking, 
that is a shame to, to spit in someone's face is actually to shame them. Uh, and, and if you remember Christ's ministry, listen, Christ who is clean and holy, he is God, was spit upon. He was spit upon those that rejected him. And, and it is interesting as a child of God, you have the opportunity to bear his shame as a child of God. You had the opportunity to, and the privilege, quite honestly, of bearing the shame that Christ experienced and the shame that he suffered for us and for our sin. And so it's kind of a weird story, man. But the Lord spit on him and put his hand on him. And then he said, uh, hey, what do you see? What do you see? You know, and, and, I, and I think there's a parallel between the spitting and the, the touching, you know, uh, in Mark chapter 6, the verse is not on the screen, but, but in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says as many people as Jesus touched, they were all made whole. They were all made whole. It just takes one touch from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it just takes one to heal a man from his sin. It only takes one. It only takes one interaction with the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform someone's life. They pass from death to life. They pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They, they pass from a, a, a spiritual lineage that separated from God to being now a child of God in God's family. All it takes is a touch. And he asked the man, okay, what do you see? And the first thing the man sees is, he says, I see men as trees. I see men as trees. Okay, those of you that have been through MTT, you know right now there's a key word in that statement, and the word is as. Actually, the two most important words in your Bible are probably the words like and the word as. And the reason why is because God teaches us many times through similitude. Hosea chapter 12 and verse, tw verse 10 says this, I have also spoken by the prophets, I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. I see men as trees walking. You say, man, that's really weird. Well, you're really weird because you use that, you use that language too. We have a thing called a family tree. Oh, there you go. You already use that language and that lineage and, and, or that language to, to, to make similitude. Listen, uh, there's so many things we could talk about. The point is not to talk about trees this morning. I do want you to understand you can learn a lot about men if you study trees in the Bible. We all have a family tree. Trees have leaves. Some trees don't lose their leaves in the wintertime. They're called evergreens. Some trees lose their, their leaves and they, they get their leaves again in the spring. Trees bear fruit. Trees have a root. Trees need sunlight and water to grow. All types and pictures of a child of God. All types and pictures of different men in the Bible. The point this morning is not to go through the whole series of trees and what they mean. The point is, this man saw men as trees, but he still didn't see clearly. He, he still didn't see clearly. You say, well, Jesus didn't heal him 100%. I thought you said only all it took was one touch from Jesus. That is all it takes. But I will tell you this, that your spiritual growth, just like mine, is a process. It's a process. Let me ask you a question. When you got saved, did you know everything there is to know about Christ, the Bible, the Word of God, ministry, prayer? Did you know everything that you, you need to know the, the minute you got saved? Of course not. And, and the reality is that your eyes began to open to the spiritual things that God had for you. But guess what? Over multiple 
touches and over multiple experiences and over multiple church services and discipleship lessons and personal time in the Word of God, all of a sudden your eyes became more and more open and you saw more and more clearly. And, and so, listen, I remember when I got saved. I was 21 years old. I was in college. Someone shared the gospel with me. I got saved and knew nothing. I did not know anything. It just blew, it, it just like blew my mind. All I knew that I, I was a sinner. <laughs> I was separated from God and, and headed to hell. And Jesus Christ loved me so much that he died on the cross to pay for my sin. And that he rose again from that grave victoriously. And if I would believe in his finished payment for my sin, I could be saved. You know what? I said, that's the greatest deal I've ever heard. Let me have that. Lord, save me. And then I showed up to church and I was like, I have no clue. What? Turn to the book of John. Where's that? I got no clue. I got no clue. Turn to the book of Genesis. Okay, that one's easy. It's in the beginning, but no clue. It took time after time, touch after touch. It, it is a continuum that we must get upon for God to completely open our eyes so that we can clearly see all things. And so, and so the story continues in verse, four, verse 25 because the man says, I see men as trees walking. By the way, in his, for those of you that are students of the Bible, in his immediate company were the disciples in Jesus Christ. So when he looked at Christ, I wonder what kind of tree he saw. That'll be a good one to study out. Okay, pick it up in verse 25. We're going to see a better perception, a better perception, because the Lord wanted to move him from seeing not clearly to seeing clearly. The Bible says in verse 25, after that he put his hand upon his eyes again and made him to look up, he was restored and he saw every man clearly. So the Bible says that he put his hands on him again. Notice it doesn't say that he spit on him again. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting what the Bible does say and doesn't say. He was willing to put his hands on him again. He didn't have to spit on him again. Because once you have received the transfer of, of cleanness and once you bore his shame once, that's enough. Once you're saved, you're saved. But, but God wants you to see clearly and that takes a process. It takes a process. Just because you're saved, it doesn't mean you see clearly yet. And so the Bible says that he put his hand upon him again, and he made him to look a certain direction, up. He made him look up. And when you track that through the Bible, that, that always relates to looking toward heaven. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus fed the 5,000 5, in verse 19, it says that he took the five loaves and, he two, and the two fishes, and he looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he did this miracle, he looked up. He, had, he changed his focus. He changed his perspective. He looked up, and God did a great miracle. In Mark chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 34, that looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Epathro, that is, be opened. This is the deaf man that Jesus healed, and straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Jesus Christ looked up, to heaven. And here's the point. If you want to see clearly, you've got to change your perspective. And, and so the key point in your notes is this. Look, a heavenly directed focus is what brings about clarity. A heavenly directed focus is what brings about clarity. You say, Jay, man, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but man, this Christian life is still fuzzy. I don't see 
men the way God wants me to see men. I don't see other people as, as saved or as lost. I don't have a burden yet for the ministry. I don't really know what it means to surrender my life to Christ. Listen, you just can't see yet because your perspective is, is wrong. It, it, it needs to be adjusted. You need to learn to look up because a, direct, a heavenly directed focus will always bring about clarity. You see, when you come to a church like this church and you look laterally, all you're going to see is men. All you're going to see is problems. All you're going to see is shortcomings. All you're going to see is maybe your personal project of somebody that you can target and, and make a disciple of you instead of Jesus. You're going to see obscurely. You're going to see blurred. You're going to see clouded. You're never going to see people the way Christ intends. But when you change your perspective and you look up, God is then able to help you see every man clearly. And that's God's goal. The goal is that, that you come to Christ, maybe by the hands of some disciples of Christ, so that you can really have 20-20 vision. You can see every man the way God intends. Colossians chapter 3 uh, gives us this perspective. Paul writes to the, the, the believers at Colossae, and he says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Anybody in here risen with Christ? You saved? Okay, this is to you. If you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above. Where, where above? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, the very dwelling place of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Do you see how a, a looking up makes you focus on eternal things? A looking up makes you focus on things that are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. When you focus on Christ and you focus on eternity, then, then all of a sudden it changes your perception of the day-to-day. -day. It changes your perception of life in general as you know it because you're looking at it through the lens of eternity. You're looking at it through the lens of Christ. God, God's desire is that every one of us have better perception. One of the keys to that, especially if we're saved, is that our focus is on things above. We learn to look up. And so the Bible says that when he did that, he was restored. He was restored. And the word restored literally means made whole. It's used several times in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament that way. It, it, the idea is that his sight was completely restored. It was made whole. The Bible says he saw every man clearly. Every man. Every man. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Lord Jesus Christ has a burden for every man. Every man. Every man. Colossians chapter 1. And we'll wind it down here. You know, look, we, we need the personal touch of Christ on our lives. And some of us, listen, we, we may have never been saved. We may, may still be blind in our sin. And, and today would be a wonderful day for you to realize, you know what, I'm blind. I can't see the things of God. I can't see Christ because I'm still in my sin. Listen, if you'll come to Christ, God will cause those scales to fall off your eyes. He'll allow you to see him clearly. But many of us are saved, but we don't have a burden for all men and every man like Christ does. God wants to give us that. Colossians 1 and verse 27 says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach. In other words, Paul saying we preach Christ. Warning who? every man, and teaching 
every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Look, look, church, every man needs to be warned. You say, man, we don't, and we don't, we don't preach a damning gospel, but the gospel is like three-fourths negative, right? Christ died for our sins, and he was buried, so, so we are sinners. Christ had to die for us. He was put in the ground. But then he rose again. And because of his resurrection, we can have forgiveness and we can have eternal life. I mean, the good news is, the good news comes on the heels of the bad news. That we're all sinners and we need redemption in Christ. And so listen, every man needs that message. That means the guy that sits across the desk from you needs that message. Your neighbor needs that message. The people you come in contact with on a daily basis, they need that message. You say, Jay, I'm not a preacher. Okay, well, today you are. <laughs> we're going to commission you. And if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to share your faith, listen, get in a place that can teach you how and be willing to learn. Every man needs to be warned. Every man needs to be taught. You know, all saved people need to be discipled. Do you know that? And we talk a lot about it, but talking about it isn't going to actually accomplish it. Every man needs to be taught in all wisdom. You've got to be willing to be taught. You've got to be willing to follow in discipleship. You've got to be willing to be mature and allow someone else to invest the life of Christ in you. Because ultimately, God's goal is that every man would be presented perfect, complete, whole in Christ. Okay, so... so I know we're almost out of time. Listen, that man is a, is, a, is a great picture of us, that blind man, either lost and needing to see Christ or saved, but just not seeing things clearly. And, and the way that he gets to see things clearly is to be brought by some disciples to Christ, and then the Lord does the work in his life so that he can see clearly. All right, so then the last part, and this is where the story gets really weird, as if spitting in his eyes wasn't weird enough. And the last point is this, a bidding away from Bethsaida. And for, for those of you that aren't familiar with the English language, the word bidding doesn't mean your casino time. It actually means charging or commanding. Okay, a bid, I bid you to go do this. I charge you, I command you to go do this. So look at verse 26. And he sent him away, Christ sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. What? I mean, the Lord just healed this guy miraculously. He gave him his sight back. He can see all men clearly. And he commands him, he bids him, because the blank has to be a B, he bids him away from Bethsaida, not back into Bethsaida. You've got to ask the question, why? why? Why would the Lord not have him go back and show other people what Christ has done? Why would he not be able to go back and communicate Man, I found the one that can make the blind to see. Well, I think the, the answer is found in Matthew 11, and we kind of alluded to it earlier. We tucked it away till now. But in Matthew 11, the Bible says in verse 20 that Christ began to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. You know, this, this, is a, this is an interesting closure to this story. The Lord would not allow this man to go back into that city particularly to share what Christ has done. Why? Because the truth is that town, that city had seen many of Christ's mighty works over and over and over again, and yet that city, they repented not. They didn't repent. They didn't turn from their sin to Christ. So let me give you a key realization that all of us need to consider as we, as we close. Look, God's mighty works are done with the full intention of bringing about repentance. God's mighty works are done with the full intention of bringing about repentance in our life. Listen, when, when you and I experience what Christ is capable of doing and what He has done in our life, it should always drive us to repentance. Now, I know your notes are full, but I'm not done. Listen, God doesn't guarantee us more signs, more mighty works, more miracles. God doesn't continue to give His, His grace and mercy when we continually reject what's already been done. As a matter of fact... There may come a point where God just decides to move on. You know, the Lord said, you're not going back into that city. You would say, well, God is love and God is grace and all those different things. He is. He's so much love and so much grace that he actually gave those cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, he gave those cities most of his mighty works. And yet they still didn't repent. You know, I wonder how many people, man, have seen God move mightily in their heart, their life, and they've seen it move over. They've seen it move over and over again. God's answered prayers. God's done miracles. God's moved in a mighty way. God has seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the blind given sight. They've seen disciples made. Listen, they've seen all the different things that Bethsaida had seen. And it didn't drive them to just worship and repent and turn to Christ. You know, there is a warning at the end of that story, that God doesn't guarantee us any more than what He's already given us. He doesn't guarantee that. What He has done in our life should always bring us to a point of repentance. It should always drive us to stay at His feet. It should always drive us to turn back to Him. Well, let me tell you what the saving grace in Bethsaida is, and I think it's the same saving grace that we have in Huntsville, Alabama. Even though the Lord had turned from that city, there were disciples in that city that were still working. And there was a man in that city that had, had literally, that whole city had seen everything that Christ had done and could do, and the city as a whole had not repented, and yet there was a blind man who was willing to go with a group of disciples to meet Jesus. And the saving grace in that, in that story is that, is that there are individuals even when God moves on, they're still willing to surrender to Him and willing to be touched by Him. And, and, and listen, I want to encourage you with that. Listen, I'm not saying that's the case in Huntsville, Alabama. I, I think God still has us here for a reason, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. 
You know, the danger in our lives individually is that we get to the place where we see God prove himself over and over again, and we just let that blow, blow past us. We don't take heed to that. Uh, we harden our own heart. God says, that's not really good. I don't owe you any more. I've shown you plenty of times over and over that I am God. And so what he's looking for is repentance, all right? So close your Bibles. Let me ask you a couple of questions as we, as we dismiss this morning. Look, number one, the first question on the table for all of us is, am, am I blind? Am I blind? You say, no, Jay, I see you standing right there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> I know you see me. <laughs> Can you see Christ? Can you see Christ? Are you saved? If you're not saved, listen, today is the greatest day on your calendar because you can come, you can come to Christ. He can save you from your sin. But maybe you are saved today and you would say, you know what, Jay, I'm still blind. I don't see men the way God intends for me to see. I don't see every man clearly. I see problems. Maybe I see projects in the church. I, I don't see men the way God sees men. I don't see them clearly. Listen, would, would you be willing to let some disciples of Christ bring you to the one who can clarify your vision? Would you be willing to come to Jesus and allow him to touch you again and, and to remove the blurriness and the obscurity from your spiritual eyes? Would you be willing to not be the church of Laodicea in the sense that you think everything is going great when in reality it's not? Would you be willing to follow the process of 2 Peter 1 to add to your faith some things so that you don't forget that God has saved you from your sin? If you're blind today and you're saved, that's the, that's the, that's the admonition that we come to Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you this morning. Lord, thank you again for your word.